Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. You're just about to hear a message from one of our incredible preaching team, and I know you're going to be encouraged and inspired by what you hear. If it does encourage you, why don't you share it with someone who you know might need to hear it as well? And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. And for now, sit back and enjoy. I hope you get blessed. I want to share a word today, and we've been going through this, this series called The Upper Room, um, all around this moment of Holy Spirit dissension from heaven to earth. It's an incredible moment, and, and I think I've fallen more in love with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in our uh, study of the Bible, the Trinity, we get stuck on the Father and Jesus, what he's done for us, and we, and we should, that, that's good. But there's also this, this third person, Jesus said, it's better that I go, that this Holy Spirit come down and do something. And uh, the upper room was this moment, this day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God descended. Before that, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and he appeared to 500 of his disciples, right? 500 for 40 days. It wasn't just you got to spend a day with the resurrected Jesus. It was that for 40 days, 500 brothers and sisters, it said, got to spend time with Jesus. He told all of them, all 500, go to Jerusalem, wait in the upper room, because the Holy Spirit's going to come. Of that 500, 120 were in the upper room. 24%, quick maths. That's less than one in four were actually there waiting on the Holy Spirit. And in our busy society, we need to have a faith that lingers, that actively lingers in the presence of God. I love microwaves and I love everything quick, but it's not conducive to a, a deep faith with God. We have to have this lingering with God, this waiting on the Spirit of God. And the upper room has been all around that, waiting on God. In uh, Acts 2, it tells us how the Holy Spirit came, and He came in power when He did come. Acts 2, verses 1 to 4, I'll, uh, I'll paraphrase. The Holy Spirit came like a violent rushing wind. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit. Now, Peter gave this incredible preach. And over 3,000 people got saved there. The same people that pinned Jesus to the cross got saved. That's a miracle. That's incredible. That's what a spirit-filled person can do. And, and sometimes we think when it comes to the upper room that the Holy Spirit, the big moment was when he descended on Pentecost. That's it. But, and I don't know if there's any wrestling fans in here, WWE. I'm not a wrestling fan. This is Australia. But... Uh, <laughs> WrestleMania, and if you're into that, or MMA, where the, you know, the entrance is this big hyped up moment and they walk in, um, and as much effort as they put into the entrance, it doesn't matter, it's what happened in the ring that actually matters. <laughs> and sometimes with the Holy Spirit, we get stuck on this Pentecost, this upper room moment when it's really what happens in the ring just after that, that, that truly matters. And so today I want to look at what happens in the ring. What was the Holy Spirit's real plan? Like, when he came to earth, the Spirit of God, he created the heavens and the earth, everything is in his power, and the, Jesus said, it's better that the Holy Spirit comes, greater things will humanity do when the Holy Spirit comes. Like, Jesus didn't speak in tongues, it's recorded nowhere. At the moment the Holy Spirit comes, these things that Jesus never did start to happen. And so what was the grand power of God? What was the power play of the Holy Spirit? Is he going to come across all the poverty in the world and provide for them so that he's going to wipe out the marginalized and the, and the poverty and so everyone is fed and, and, and clothed and has a home? That sounds like a pretty good plan, if I had all the power of God. Or 
Is he going to come and bring fairness to everyone who's been unjustly treated? Fairness is a big one in our society. Bring justice to everyone. That sounds like a good plan of the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't seem to be his power play either. In Acts 2, 41 to 47, we read this. This is straight after Peter preaches. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, all of the believers were together. They held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed to the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So the power play of the Holy Spirit, this is the big power play, was to start the church. And, and to us who are in a church and to varying degrees of familiarity with the church, varying degrees of hurt by the church, opinions on the church, you, that when we say that it might not be like, yay, there's this big cheer going goes up. If, God, if the Holy Spirit was going to eradicate poverty, pretty sure everyone would get to their feet and cheer. But when we talk about this big power play of establishing the church, we're all like, okay, it's that's pretty decent. Because in our perception of the church, based on hurts that we've had, based on the experiences that we had, based on our current deconstruction of the church, sometimes we can just reduce the church to the sum of its parts, where there was a great worship moment, and then there was community element, after that we'll go hang out in the cafe and have a coffee, and you know, there was city vision, Pastor Cam gets up, he's going to tell you about what's happening in the life of the church. There's a preach moment. I mean, you know, you can go onto Google and AI can write you a preach now. Okay, if you deconstruct the church to just its parts and how well you consume each of those parts, then the church might not be a really attractive connotation for you. But I think in our generation, we've lost what the true heart of the church was because more important than the ecclesiology, how we do it, is the intent of the spirit behind it. And so I'm just going to take it back to grassroots today because this changes the way you look at who we are as a, as a people and what we can accomplish. The title of my message is simply this, you the church, me the church, we the church. Because when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and we love to be like, when the Holy Spirit dwells in I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is true. Every time the Bible talks about it in the New Testament, two times it talks about you as an individual. The rest of the time it talks about us as a people. It's more accurate to say the Holy Spirit can be seen in us as people than me as a person. And so the Holy Spirit is deeply concerned with what we are as a people group. And the Holy Spirit does something incredible in us. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. You might remember the story of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. God says to Ezekiel, there's this valley of dry bones. Speak to these dry bones and they will come back to life. And these dry bones, when Ezekiel prophesies to them, these bones get knit back together, joined back together, and flesh gets knitted over these bones. That is a picture of what happens to every human spirit when you decide to follow Jesus Christ. That because of our generational spiritual nature, we are born into sin. Sin means disconnection from God. If God is this tree of life, this spiritual tree of life where whatever's attached to him gets their nutrients and sustenance from, you're born detached from him. And when we choose to follow Jesus again, our spirits are grafted back into this tree of life. We're grafted back into God. The Holy Spirit does that. 
The word for it is this palingenesia, the creation of new things. All things are made new. I still have the same body, but internally my spirit has been made new. When you believe on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it is not a belief system or a changing of a worldview. It is not a subscription to a different religion. You become alive where you were once dead. Your spirit becomes alive. And this is core to the formation of the church because in the start where this church was formed, 3,000 people undergo this regeneration of their spirit. And the greatest miracle of the first church is not that they gave all their possessions. The greatest miracle of the first church is that there was a unity. You think about who these 3,000 people were. We have Jews over here who believe that Jesus was the Messiah the whole time. And then we have Jews who only three seconds ago thought that Jesus was just a prophet but not the Messiah. And then we have people over here uh, from the Gentiles who actually pinned Jesus to the cross. They nailed, it says, these lawless people, the ones that were there, nailed him to the cross. The ones who crucified Jesus are now following Jesus, a miracle in itself. And then we have a whole bunch of other pagans and pantheistic people over here who follow all these different types of worldviews. And in this one moment... They're doing everything together as this perfect unity in the church. How, how is it that's the miracle that all these different opinions and origins, it's not just like this magic lightning bolt zaps them and now they all have the same worldview. Oh yes, now we no longer have, no longer have sex before marriage because we've decided on... All their worldviews weren't the same. They had one common denominator, one piece of level ground that Jesus Christ was the saviour, was the Messiah and only him could save them. And so... That was the only thing that provided unity for them. And and so the church today is not so different. That in this room today we have people from different origin points. Some of you grew up in Christian families. Some of you might have grown up in Muslim families. Some of you might grow up atheistic or might still be that way today. We all have these different common denominators, these different origin points. And some of the big trigger points in our society we hold different. Your ideas on race or gender or abortion, whatever the big trigger topics are of today, they might differ across this room. How then can we be a unified church? Because the Acts 2 church had this sense of momentum, this sense of we're doing something. They were unstoppable. They were growing. They were meeting. They were joyful. They were on mission. There was something about the early church. How do we do that? What is the, the miracle here? The Dietrich Bonhoeffer is this... Um, Christian martyr. He was killed for his faith. And right then, he, he, he could have escaped. He could have gone, but he went back to Germany where they said, if you come back here, we're going to kill you for your faith. And so he went back anyway. <laughs> and he wrote in books, but he wrote this one called Life Together. And I think he captures in this moment really what a Christian community is, who we are to each other. He says this, what determines our family is what a person is only through the lens of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. This is true not merely at the beginning, as though in the course of time something else was going to be added to our community. It remains so for all the future and to all eternity. I have community with others, and I shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. The more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. And more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that's vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another, holy and for eternity. And and there are so many things I love about this church. I say this church because I'm part of it by extension. We're, we're, We're family, we just live in different locations. And there's so many things I love about this church. I love that 
we value the presence of God and worship. I love that we value preaching and the word of God as the truth of God. I love that we value community. That no matter who you are, no matter what you believe in this moment, you can come into this place, you can enjoy everything that we put on, be a part of our social events, our families events, you can be a part of this. But I also have to say that community and friendship is not what holds the church together. We are something more. We are something greater. We are something that cannot possibly exist anywhere else in the world. There is a spiritual rubber band around us, around me and Kate, and then Kate and Pastor Carolina, there's a spiritual band that holds us all together. Something that cannot be seen. And it's like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the only thing that holds us together in that way is that we have both undergone a spiritual resurrection. The same thing that happened to me has happened to you. The same common denominator as the original church, the Holy Spirit is the bond between us. That we can differ on a whole range of different things. When the Bible talks about unity, we don't have to have the same belief system on everything. We can differ across a whole range of things, but the one thing we agree on is that Jesus Christ is the Savior of our souls and that He alone is the way to eternal life. The thing that bonds you and I together is this Holy Spirit, a bond that's deeper than blood, a bond that's deeper than friendship. That's why when Jesus ministered in the temple, these disciples say, hey, your family's outside, you better go to him. He says, who's my family? but those that do the will of my Father, that there is a bond that supersedes this because every bond that we have through friendship or family lasts the length of a lifetime, but there is a bond that lasts for eternity. The only one that we have is through that. And the more genuine our community becomes, the clearer Jesus and his work becomes in us. I am not a part of this church because of the incredible worship that we have. I'm not a part of this church because of the incredible teaching or the fact that I've been transformed here over the last 15 years. I'm not a part of this church because of red frogs or because of the great work at I'm a part of this church because the Holy Spirit has drawn me here and bonded me to you. We belong to one another. I belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. And therefore, we belong to one another. And that makes this something different and something special because if we look at our church as a, a family dining table, and I think this is kind of applicable. There's so many times throughout the Bible that it's talked about uh, a dining table in the, in the midst of your enemies. Can you imagine if everyone in the crowd was here to kill me today and Jesus sets up a great feast for me? Just, you can watch me eat a, you know, score eight marbled steak in front of you. you know? There's a sense that we are invited to this eternal feast with God, eternal life. This, that's what Jesus invites us to, that this life can be hard, but there is an eternity with God that he describes as a feast, a place where you sit down and laugh and enjoy good drinks and enjoy good food. And what gets you to this table is not that we know each other. What gets you to this table is that we have the same bond, the same invitation from the Holy Spirit that draws us to this. I'm going to draw some more parallels from that in a minute. But your invitation to the table, eternal life, this church with God, is not a reward for perfect people. But it's a gift to broken people who realize that Jesus Christ is the only thing that can really draw us together. And so this is why the early church was so powerful, not because their worldviews were identical. church came from its ability to align with the Spirit of God. And I've been having, and I'm not sure if it's other conversations around the ecclesiology of the church especially with young adults. Why do we run the church the way we do? Why do you have four worship songs and then you do a lead moment in prayer? And, then like, and why are the walls black? And why do you do smoke machines? You know? And all these kinds of things. The ecclesiology, how we do church. But, but a better question than 
why you do things that way is what is the Spirit's intent beneath the ecclesiology? That was what this Acts 2 scripture was about. What is the Spirit doing? Because the Spirit is doing something different in every local church. This is why it's important. And if you're not part of a local church, maybe you just came in today, maybe you're visiting, maybe you don't think the local church is that important. Look, playing golf with Christians is not church. Having coffee with Christians is not doing church. The majority of letters in the New Testament is around how to structure and lead a gathering of local people who have been bonded together by the Holy Spirit and how can they outwork a specific vision from the Spirit in the place that they live. See, the Holy Spirit is doing something here in this community, even within the 8.30 gathering together. The Holy Spirit is doing something. That is a far better question than why do we do four songs or why? How do we choose the songs? What is the Holy Spirit doing in you? You are a family bonded together by the Spirit of God. And, and the more... I grew up in a Christian family, and you might have heard the phrase, a local church is the hope of the world. And I grew up saying that and regurgitating that. But the, the longer I've been on this planet... I'm, I was 35 yesterday. And uh, I know for many people, they're like, you're a young snapper. But... But the, young, the longer I am on this planet, I see no vehicle of transformation like the local church. I see nothing that can heal families like the local church. I see nothing that brings joy and wholeness to an individual like, like the local church. And if you haven't got a local church, I want you to seriously consider finding one because you can be bonded to the universal church. The Holy Spirit is the architect of the global church as well as the local, but he's always been the local church architect first. Belonging to the church is more than just a good idea and significant. As we go through this in Acts chapter 3, we see that it's actually necessary for what the Spirit wants to do in the church. In Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, I love this, this scripture. This is just straight after that. So this is part of the momentum of that early church. 3,000 people were added. The apostles are doing great things. And then Peter and John, they go for a walk up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I, I don't have this, but I do have this. I don't have money, but what I do have is faith for your healing. Because we cannot give what we don't have, but we are asked to give what we do have. The purest form of worship is giving what God has given you back to Him. God has these gifts that He's given you, everything that He's given you, and the purest form of worship is simply saying, everything that you poured out for me, I just pour it out back to you. And so in this moment, we see the disciples bringing what they have to that, and when you bring what you have, it gets mixed with the power and grace of God, and miracles break forth. And I, I always wonder how many miracles are waiting in the wings because the believers need to bring what they do have to the table. I love the dining table, and uh, maybe I don't want to sit at it alone. Simon and Ellie, can you come sit at the table with me? Yeah, you too. Welcome the bells up to the platform. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a stitch up. <laughs> Do you know Simon Bell? He, he, he might just think he's a, a businessman or whatever. About 12 years ago, maybe 13, it's a young adults conference, and he got up straight out of his comfort zone and he pointed at me and said, Ensby, you're going to be a preacher one day. Wow. And he called it out of me then and said, there's hope for all of us. If uh, <laughs> I've, known, I've known Simon since, oh, grade not 15. So what's that, 18 years now. He moved away from Carindale. I'll be forever a little bit dirty at Redcliffe for that. But uh, <laughs> you guys are inherent to great people. But when it comes to the, um, the dinner table, um, the Ensby Christmas has a, a long history. At our Ensby Christmas, we have one rule. Everyone brings a plate of food to the table. Uh, you don't come without a plate of food. Now, my youngest brother, Kurt, he's become significantly more useful since he can slow cook meat now. But, uh, <laughs> but before that, for years, ever since, he, he's seven years younger than me, before that, every year, I, w- I would bring the, uh, the Chinese noodle Wombok salad. Anyone know that one? Yeah, if you know, you know. Got some fans. My parents would bring the potatoes and, and salad and things. Kurt couldn't cook or anything, so every year he would bring cheese on a plate. That was his meal. And it wasn't even camembert or brie, right? It was like this like cheap block of cheddar on this plate, and he'd just put it in the middle of the table. And that, that was his contribution. But everyone brought something to the table. Everyone could bring something. Everyone did bring something. And, and often, there was never any cheese left at the table. Like someone always ate cheese on a plate. One year we got into grilled cheese on toast, so one year when he was real young, he just microwaved this block of cheese, so all we had was this puddle of cheese on a plate. But, but, but the moral of the story was you don't, you don't come empty-handed to it. That's what a family does. You all bring something. And, and the same thing, if we think about this as the family of God, we all have something to bring. Simon is a, is a businessman. The movement standard has gone from strength to strength. Um, and in that, and in many of our things, sometimes we think... What we bring to the table can only be brought on a Sunday. Now, there is room for some people, Sunday on team, that is your lane. You know, you can carve that out, you can be consistent with that, and you need to join team on a Sunday to bring what you have. For some people, Sundays, it doesn't suit. Like, if you're a business person and you have an hour to spend with your family on a Sunday, what can you bring to the kingdom of God? Well, you can do business well. You can finance kingdom projects well, and you can show the next generation how to continue to do the same with good moral ethics. That is bringing your gift set to the table. Ali Bell can do literally everything under the planet. <laughs> Creative launches on, and I'm like, Ali, it might be time to get back on the mic. But, but uh, she, she can do everything. The, the amount of conversation she has with individuals and the smile that she brings, and even this morning, I, got, I arrived early, and... I don't know the, the gentleman's name, but he just smiled at me when he was unlocking the door, and I was like, oh, I feel good about being here today because of that one Christmas ham to lunch. We're not feeling like we're doing anything, but sometimes cheese on a plate is great. <laughs> if you can bring it consistently, cheese on a plate is great. And, and so what brings us to the table, and these guys' is friendship for, for me today, but what brings us to the table is the bond of the Holy Spirit working in us. That brings you here. But when you come, if you're a part of this, you bring what you do have. Everyone brings something. I know you have something for two reasons. There are good works predestined on your life before you were born. You have something to bring. It's within you. I know you have the power to bring it because when you are regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit, He gives you gifts and fruit that start to come alive in your life as well. You have something to bring to this family, something to bring to this Christmas dinner. 
And I want you to ask that, like, if you're a part of this, what, what is it? What do you bring to this? Even if it's cheese on a plate. If it, you might be, be bringing the Christmas ham. You might be the potatoes or the salad. What, what is it that you bring? Is it a smile on the door? Is it joining team? Is it, is it that moment? I used to serve five years ago. I don't know why I stopped, but today I need to get back in the rhythm of that again. Whatever it is, bring what you have to the table. It's the most satisfied version of who you are. Thank you, Bells, for filling the table with me. Come on, clap as they go back to the been playing Van Vogel golf. It's been down in Tasmania playing golf. I had a little bit of golf envy this week. But bringing what you have is not just a good idea. It's not just functional that the church can run. It's, it's more than that. And this next part of the scripture is um, one of the spiciest pieces of scripture I can find in the New Testament. Acts 4, 32 to 37 and, and 5, 1 to 12. And the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was on all of them. You can get this sense of momentum. Things are moving forward. There was not even a needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid them at the apostles' feet, this was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, who they called Barnabas, sold a field he owned and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, but they kept back some of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and he brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart that you would lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. And when he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard, even today. <laughs> the young men got up and wrapped his body, carried him out and buried him. Three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look at the feet of those who have buried your husband. They're at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young man came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. And then many signs and wonders would be done among the people. This is New Testament. This is after Jesus. This is, this is now times. And this is why I find this is so spicy. But if we're going to look at the work of the Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit in establishing the church, then we can't boycott this. We can't skip over this part. Some people like to reduce this down to, all right, well, if we're going to mirror the first church, we all need to sell our property. Maybe this is a good model for the church. But you also find that this church had to send out collection plates to all the other churches and take money back. So it, it, one, it's not a good sustainable business model. It doesn't hand, but it's key. That was happening because the Spirit was doing something in them to establish the people of God. Yeah. Now, here comes Barnabas, and he was praised for his contribution. Then Ananias and Sapphira come out, and it's this stark contrast. They were very, it's a very stark contrast. But their sin was not because of their generosity. You, you sell a house today in Brisbane prices, what, 800K, you bring half of that, 400,000 of the church. It's not that they didn't bring enough. The sin was that they lied to the Holy Spirit. If you trace this 
theme, this golden thread as we've been talking about, the Holy Spirit regenerates an individual. But then the Holy Spirit also bonds that individual to other like-minded individuals who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Wherever the Spirit is moving in the church, wherever the kingdom is taking ground, Satan is there to oppose it. But you look at the most of the ways where Satan opposes the kingdom of God, and he does it from the inside. Judas was one of the twelve. The only other language around this, Satan has filled your heart in a nice and fire. There's only a few other times where it talks like that. One's with Judas, Satan has filled his heart. Another time is with Peter, one of the three, one of the core, right in there with Jesus, straight after he just says, you are the son of God. Yes, Peter, God has revealed that to you. Oh, Jesus, you can't go to the cross. Get behind me, Satan. Within like five minutes of each other. There's this moment that whenever the kingdom is taking ground, whenever the spirit is doing something with intent, the division comes from Satan, but it comes from within. It comes from this place that these people were bonded in the early church by the Holy Spirit together. The only, everything external cannot come against it. The Bible says that the, the gates of Hades cannot prevail against the church. Things coming against us from the outside, they haven't got a chance. They know that if anything's going to disrupt the intent and the moving of the Spirit, it's going to come from within. In your own life, personally, it starts here in the heart. And Anais and Sapphira weren't forced to do this. It said, why have you allowed this to happen? Why have you allowed this lie to happen to the Holy Spirit? Why have you allowed? What have you allowed? This is your seat of deliberation, a seat of conviction in your life. This is where you need to take hold first. And this is why bringing what you have to the table is so important because these guys, their sin was not that they didn't bring enough. Their sin was that they thought they could posture about being bonded into the community of Christ. That they thought, by works, I will be a part of this. That I'm not going to actually bring what I've been given. I'm going to bring part. And by my works, they're working against the Spirit of God. And and my extrapolation from this is not that if you don't sell your house, you're going to drop dead. If you do some grand sin, I don't want the fear of God to come. If you do some big sin, you're going to drop dead. Like in, in the churches on from this, like Paul writes to the Corinthians, hey, the whole church knows it. One of you is sleeping with your mother-in-law. Not a good thing. First of all, that's gross. Don't do it, okay? But, but second of all, it's showing that there is a grace for it. That's not the extrapolation of it. But, but what I do want to draw out from it is this. When we come around the dinner table of the family of Christ, it's not, we have to be serious about it because it's not just about the people and the table. It's not just about the organization and the building. When we interact with the church and we bring what we have, we're dealing with the Holy Spirit himself. And the Holy Spirit is jealous for your purity. He's jealous for your future. He's jealous for your giftings and he's jealous for our unity. And so it makes it serious when you bring what you have or you, you say, yeah, I am a part of this or... I'm bringing all that I can. Make sure you aren't lying to yourself and to the Spirit because it can disrupt what the Spirit's intent is for what He wants to do in us as a people. Peter said, wasn't it yours before you sold it? And after you sold it, wasn't it still yours? What you do with the gifts God's given you is always yours. It's always on you to, to bring. You can fan it into flame or you can let it simmer as an ember. The Holy Spirit is creating this incredible people, this community, bonded closer than flesh, closer than blood. Pastor Mark always says that the devil only has a foothold in the unsurrendered areas of our lives. What's taken place in the seat of conviction of your life? But I'm always 
comforted by this. What hope do we have if it's on us to build this church? But Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. What rock? The same rock that the Acts 2 church built it on. On this revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he alone is the one way to heaven, that he alone can save. On that revelation I will build my church. I I believe the greatest days of the church and this church are ahead of us. I believe the future is bright. I believe there's a time where the saints awaken to what they truly are, this renewed regeneration of the Holy Spirit, that you are not like everybody else. There are dead branches walking around, but you are alive, grafted in, filled with the power of God and filled with the Spirit of God. And I believe people are going to say this over City Point Redcliffe, like they said over the Acts 2 church, that everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed. They devoted themselves to meeting together in the church from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You, the church, me, the church, we, the church. And by the Holy Spirit renewing us and bonding us, our future together is going to be bright. Let me pray as we close this. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.